0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here on an overcast day in a rather deserted city of Westminster, as once again, we ensure that we have a variety of differing perspectives on leadership. I'm Scott Challoner, and I'm joined on the air today by James Cotton. James is the founder and managing director of OneSpace Media, a digital agency in Cambridge which creates powerful brands, websites, and digital products that accelerate business growth. James, welcome to the program, and it's great to have you on the air with us today.
1: Thanks very much, Scott. Uh, on the
0: it's an absolute pleasure having you now as I say the purpose of this uh, podcast is to gather a variety of perspectives on the topic of leadership and um, what I would like to get an idea of first and foremost James is what that word leader actually means to you personally
1: well you know being a leader or you know why the term leadership I mean to me it isn't it isn't about authority it's about inspiration and mm-hmm. I think you know it's about striving to be better at whatever you do and constantly learning and, and sharing that with others as widely as you can
0: I think you're absolutely right in saying that it's important as a leader to be able to inspire people. And would you say that that's certainly a focus on your own leadership style as well?
1: Definitely, 100%. I mean, I've never thought of the top of the hierarchical tree barking out orders. I'm very interested in learning from my peers and my staff and everyone around me in the world and trying to uh, better myself and use that knowledge to help other people.
0: Exactly right. And do you think that good leadership sometimes is as recognised as it should be in the UK. Because what I do think is that when we think about leadership generally, we are quite tempted to instantly think of fame and celebrity and sports personalities, politicians, those sorts of individuals. And in the business world especially, people who don't stick their heads above the parapet, who go about their business day to day quite quietly, but are also very, very effective leaders in their own right term, in their own form of leadership – they can very much go unnoticed, can't they?
1: Well, definitely. I think that, you know, leadership, you know, I think in some ways when you think about some of the adjectives to describe leadership, I think confidence does come into that. And I think that whether leaders choose um, whether or not to to, to, to publicise themselves, if you like, you know, through LinkedIn, I mean, we all know all these kind of influences that are out there whether you're you know, the, popular in the media it's difficult for you know those leaders you know around the country running small firms and things like that to actually have a have a voice um but they may not necessarily want the voice outside Mm. of that kind of circle
0: absolutely because leadership comes in many different forms doesn't it and there are some leaders who do like to stick their head above the parapet and be very much there and at the head of everything for all to see as it were especially in the public eye but for some people they prefer essentially to just kind of get on with it behind closed doors don't they
1: well, definitely. And I think that, you know, as you said, leadership comes in many different forms. And I think that depending on the situation, different qualities are necessary in, in different types of leaders. I mean, a leader in the military has a very different qualities from the leader in the business world, for example, or, um, you know, a, a leader in, in the media. And I think that, you know, when it, when it comes to myself, I think that really, for me, it's really about the confidence to make decisions, but also the confidence to learn from those mistakes. And to think about, you know, the history of that you've learned and how it creates the persona that you want to portray as a leader. I mean, you know, obviously I, I employ a bunch of staff, but I think leadership comes in many, many forms beyond that, in the family, in friends, in, in your community. And I think that the more that, you know, you can strive to be a better person and put that on for other people, I think that, you know, that, that actually, for, for me,
2: make, makes you a good leader.
0: And do you think it's possible to actually be a good leader without, as you say, trying things, making mistakes, getting things wrong and learning from them? That's important in one's development, isn't it?
1: I mean, for me, I, I really don't think. I think you have to be honest with yourself that you know you're 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 not infallible. You're going to make mistakes. Mm. I think that you know we, we don't we don't learn from doing things right. We learn from doing things wrong. And I think that we have to have the maturity and the confidence to accept when when we do fail or when we make mistakes that we understand and we learn from them. And we uh, you know we try to make sure that we do things better in the future. And I think that's just about the kind of cyclical uh, process of of becoming a better leader over time.
0: Yeah, and I think um, for some younger generations of leaders, sometimes that fear of failure and that fear of criticism can sometimes sort of hinder them in their journey, can't it? Whereas really what we should be saying is to embrace failure, embrace mistakes and be willing to learn from them to make yourself better and really improve business as a whole.
1: Well, I think that, you know, if you, I, I don't know if you, if you have children, but, you know, I, I've got two children myself. and I, I look at their different stages of education and see their frustration, for example, when they get a math problem wrong or something like that. And actually, you know, and it's, also, it's about reinforcing the fact that, you know, it's okay to get things wrong. That's the point. You just keep working at things until you get them right. And you remember the journey that you've been on. And that actually makes you stronger as a
2: person.
0: I would certainly um, agree with that and I think you do have to uh, go on that journey and if we do think about that idea of the journey for a moment again there James do you think that great leaders are born great leaders or do you think they develop into great leaders and learn the art of becoming a leader throughout their development?
1: I mean, I don't think you're born a great leader. I think it's probably part of a, you know, wider set of circumstances. You know how you were brought up. You know whether you're, you, you may have been part of adversity, or you may have had a, you know, you may have had a difficult life, or you may have had a great life. You might have had good parents that were good leaders that you, you've learned from, and you're, you know, transposing those those qualities onto yourself. Or it may be that you've actually come from adversity, and that's made you more resilient and, and things like that. So I think that a lot of it comes from the kind of societal or, or family kind of setup that you 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 up in.
0: And I think there are some things also that you do have to have that can't necessarily be taught. So for example, some great leaders out there do have a certain self-motivation, a certain drive. And those are the things, yeah. again, that like you can't necessarily teach. That's one thing that does really have to come from within.
1: Yeah, I think that that's something that you know, you've got to have that drive within you, that motivation. And I think that, you know, for people to be inspired by leaders, they have to, those leaders have to be inspiring themselves. They have to be motivational. They have to talk with confidence and have to project this confidence so that people believe in them and can rally around them. I think that's very, very important. And I think that that's a, a skill which is, or a virtue, should we say, which doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. And I think it's something that you have to work very, very hard in to be a very, very confident and great communicator.
0: I certainly see where you're coming from. Um, communication is hugely important. And we talked a lot about inspiration there as well and the importance for leaders to inspire. Are there any yeah. examples of leaders out there who've maybe been an inspiration to you, James, throughout your career?
1: I have to say, I was, I was thinking about this before, Paul, and um, I have to say that my parents actually have been very, very inspiring. mean my mother, my mother, and she started and ran a very, very large charity for education of girls and after she worked at it from selling cakes on the market to building it up to be one of the most respected girls education charities in the world supporting over 1.5 million kids she she's out of it now but it's actually the journey that she went on of learning was inspiring for me when I grew up and you know my dad has been an entrepreneur as well and has run companies and watching the difference in their approaches actually, as I was growing up was very very inspiring and I think that to see one in the commercial world and one in the charity space actually gave me a lot of experience about being a leader in different contexts. So I think that, you know, it's it's maybe a little cliche to say my parents, but I think that, that that's the answer I'd like to give.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say, obviously, talking about your parents being great leaders is a bit of a cliche, because sometimes the greatest leaders are, of course, people who are parents, are mentors, those sorts of individuals. And again, it links back to this idea, doesn't it, that sometimes we might think of leaders as being people who are really prominent and being people in the public eye. But that isn't necessarily the case. It can be people in any walk of life.
1: Yeah. I think definitely, I think, you know, of course, you've got people who are in the limelight, you've got politicians, you've got some politicians that you know, you know, you've got business leaders that you know, of course, I've got lists as long as you're on, and it's added to every single day, but I think that, you know, for me, the greatest leaders are those who are making kind of micro impacts. you know, helping in their communities, you know, taking their own initiatives to try and, you know, fix problems or to, to help people, and for me, I get mostly inspired by people who sort of take on these community initiatives without any reason for reward it's just out of empathy and
0: altruism so based upon your experience then James if you were to give advice to the next generation of emerging leaders what would you tell them
1: well I think that for me honesty uh, is one of the most important things I think that as a leader I think we have a duty to you know to follow good governance um, to try and make sure that the actions that we take are honest and that we're true to ourselves because I think that a lot of leaders or perceived leaders can come and talk very, very quickly if they've been dishonest in any way and it's can come and later in their lives and it's sort of you know, their I think that being a leader as well is about being a great listener and being very, very open to learning and being able to take those thoughts and things that you hear and the knowledge that you take and being able to reflect that back as a good communicator mm-hmm. and, you know, inspire people, motivate people, be a role model, um, be someone to look up to and I think that you know, I think you just have to have the confidence to make those decisions even if you're them wrong. But as long as you see them with empathy and honesty, um, I think that, you know, leadership is in to come your way.
0: I think that's incredibly sound advice for um, future generations uh, for sure there, James. And if we do think about the future once again, before we do wrap things up on today's program, um, do give me an idea of what you imagine the next 12 months will hold for yourself and for the uh, the business, OneSpace Media, and also what you hope to achieve in that time as well, particularly not just in navigating this situation, but also in emerging from the other side.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, I think in some ways we've been quite lucky because, you know, once we work typically in life science and, and medical organisations, which obviously, are, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of work for those guys going on at the moment. So we were, you know, I'd like to say it was tactical at the time, but I think that because we we were in, you know, in Cambridge huge concentration of those types of companies here. So our business, and business is usual. But I think for One Space Media, we're really striving to um, basically be one of the top agencies working in life science and medical companies. Um, we're striving to do great work. We're trying to give opportunities to, to young people to make our industry stronger, for designers, for development. But I think for me personally, it's about diversifying my Day to day business life, um, and looking for other opportunities to kind of uh, uh, make me uh, make me more of a leader. Outside.
0: Absolutely, and um, looking for those um, opportunities and weighing those up over the um, the next few months is going to be hugely important for businesses, um, and also businesses are going to have to change, develop, adapt, and innovate in um, the way that they do things um, to essentially be ready for the changing market environment as well.
1: Definitely, definitely. I think that you know we're obviously the situation is unprecedented, but. I hope that in some ways actually there's a positive come out of it. I hope there's greater community spirit. I hope there's a, you know, a, 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 a less of a reliance on, um, technology all the time. Technology helps in this situation, but there's nothing good, there's nothing greater than a, a good face to face meeting me more conversation. I also think that, you know, life may slow down a little bit. I think that the pace of life is potentially, you know, eating it up, especially for those of us who, who kind of live in cities. Um, you know, you're just rushing around all the time, trying to fit a million things into, into your day, which is often impossible. I think that this whole experience of being forced to stay at home for so long gives us some opportunity for contemplation and to, um, to understand, you know, what we value in life.
0: I think you're absolutely right. And you know what I also think would be quite a fantastic, James, is if in a few months' time, once we start to see things change, if we could maybe have you back on the air again with us to just look at this retrospectively and see just how some of those changes are being borne out, but also to catch up on how the uh, the business is doing as well. Um, but for now, it's been an absolute pleasure and incredibly insightful having you on today's programme. And thank you ever so much for taking the time to come on and speak with me today. It's been fantastic.
1: It's my pleasure. Thanks very much, Scott.
0: I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, James. That was James Cotton from One Space Media. Um, Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 World Cup hero, Sir Geoff Hurst. Um, A former professional striker who scored over 200 league goals during his career for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City, Sir Geoff also remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a Football World Cup following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago. I hope you enjoyed listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff, and that's coming up next.
3: Uh, We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. uh,
2: You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh,
3: And perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times
2: Many many years ago, nineteen sixty-two, I think that was. So I didn't. And, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it. I'm. It was lucky to be playing, <laughs> I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time. Mm-hmm. Being stuck between the two sports.
3: And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where. Um,
2: simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who um, was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over 15 years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He worked with... So you, you're very fortunate i think you, you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in ron greenwood and of course uh, a great manager in South Ramsey. so to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career of course and, and then your life and that's that's quite purely the
3: case absolutely and in those early days um at
2: they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's, thats for me, in terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before I was I was playing, and I played with the immigrants in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final, and it looked at that stage as if I was going to be
3: uh, well, you want I, mean, I can tell you if you want, you want. You got time? I can tell I you. if You want Jeff? Go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I
2: was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in, in the Channel Islands, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a somebody at the back who
3: Uh, well, and uh, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like no, that. I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In
2: fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well, so it, uh, um, it did make it again, if, you could,
3: if you could put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when...